You are are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Excited for today's guest, Trevor Blake is a physicist by background who grew up extremely poor and bullied. Eventually, he tapped into the workings of energy, consciousness, and transformation, in particular, the science behind it all. And it began creating through intentionality. Over the last 10 years, Trevor has created and successfully exited three separate companies for over $600 million and has never hired a single employee. Now he's helping people tap into their practical magic and become real world wizards. So I'm excited to welcome Trevor Blake to Making Bank today. Thank you, Josh. I'm delighted to be here. It'll be fun. Yeah, so super intrigued. You know, never hired an employee, 600 million, you know, three different exits. Give us a little bit of your background. Obviously, you said you got bullied when you were little. Uh, kind of fill us in with some of these details. Well, that's how it all started because I was in a place where the English weren't welcome. So I, I was a subject, you know, I was targeted by, I was, I was one of only probably two or three English people in, amongst hundreds of thousands. So I was targeted by the bullies and I used to get into all kinds of scraps. Um, I don't think I ever won one, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I tried, you know, I did my best. Uh, and in the end, I just decided to get out of their way. So I used to hide in the town library. And that, and because I was there and killing time until it got dark and they all had to go home to the, to the, you know, to get something to eat, um, I would just start reading and, and I was hiding under the A, B section. It was all done alphabetically. And so I read the A's, which is a short part. And then there was this massive section of B's for biography. Mm. And so I just started reading biographies of all famous people through history and every aspect of life, not just business, but, but in adventurous types too, and artists and musicians and all the rest of it. And I was just blown away that I found these patterns of behavior. I saw commonality regardless of the age, regardless of the industry, the way that they behaved and thought. And I, I honestly didn't come up with any genius ideas. I just thought I'd copy them. And that's been my whole life. I've, I've basically stolen their, their brilliance <laughs> and used it in my own life. And, and that's that my first book, Three Simple Steps, is based on that, the three principles, the three, the three sort of uh, different ways to behave that are that are probably contrary to the way we're taught in school and by parentage and stuff like that. So that's been my, my life story. So I had a great adventure because I'd been poor. I wasn't able to travel. So I, tr- I wanted to travel. My, I met my wife the same way, using the same intentionality that you mentioned. And um, and so we were together 40 years until unfortunately she died last year. Oh. But we, wa- we wanted to travel. So we, tr- we spent 20 years just traveling. And then, you know, this always happens to us. I well, you're, you might not be there yet, but on the last night of your 39th year, you go to bed feeling immortal and you wake up on the morning of your 40th birthday, if you like, and you look six months pregnant and it happened overnight. And <laughs> I don't know how it happened. And so you, so you suddenly start to think differently. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go on my own and do my own thing. And, um, I had a big row with my CEO. And so that gave me the idea and aha moment and started my first company, uh, when I was 43. And uh, you're right, I've built and sold three for the combined enterprise value of 600 million. Obviously, I don't get all 600 million because I had investors. Right. But I'm not, I'm not complaining. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, I, but, I, but I had, um, so I'm on company seven now. So I have four companies I'm running right now. Uh, and none of them, no, I've never had another employee. Never. Don't need to these days. Technology can do almost everything for us. And I prefer it that way. So I use a model of alliances, which is vendors and consultants. And I've changed my career style from being supervisory and sort of separation into trust to trust and, and, you know, like a conductor of an orchestra. 
and I, I love it because it means I don't have to work very hard. They do all the work. I just give direction and, and um, you know, confidence and, and that's it, really. That's who I am. Well, <laughs> so a lot of different stuff in there. And now I'm like super intrigued because I've, I've owned multiple companies, like 15 companies since I was 14 years old. So, And most of them always had employees and everything. So uh, super curious on maybe kind of give us you know, take one of your companies you have today, or maybe one that you've sold in the past, you know, for a hundred million, How, like, what is that breakdown? And you said you have consultants and you have vendors and things like that, but um, kind of give us an idea of what the company was and what you were selling and then kind of how that structure and everything was all set up. Yeah, glad to. So my, my first one was a commercial venture. Uh, one, so I'm in all kinds of aspects, research and development, um, digital marketing, I have an animal sanctuary, etc. It's all very different. But my first one was a commercial pharmaceutical company. Okay. And I started it by I started it by convincing the CEO who I had a row with, who basically wanted to kick me out of the company, by convincing him to sell me the rights to a product that was the cause of the row. And so, uh, so, so I thought I'll put my money where my mouth is. But my money was only two hundred dollars. So, so I got permission to get the rights, but I needed two point one million. So, you know, I, I went out and tried to find some money, and eventually found a, a, a couple of private investors, seed investors, and off we went. We started our company. Uh, and so, you know, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So I didn't have the money to hire people. So I had to think about, I, I need to do this a different way. And I reflected back on my regular career. And I realized that I spent 75% of my time sitting in a meeting room, bullshitting, basically, about things that had nothing to do with company growth or, or product improvement or customer satisfaction. It was all about making employees happy and yet another human resource system. And so I realized, you know, I don't need to do that. If I, if I do this business model where I knew enough people that I'd worked with, where, I had, where when we were launching a product, I'd say, could you be my sales and marketing or could you be my regulatory? And I would bolt them on. I just went back to them and said, look, I've started this thing. I want you to be my only regulatory. I don't want you to be my only manufacturing. I want you, so I want you to be my pieces. And they were delighted and loved it, and, you know, because they, they took kind of ownership in helping a little company like the, you know, like the, the ugly duckling, if you like, yeah. to grow and, and, and sort of thrive. So it was so successful. But the surprising point for me was it, my net profits were 76%. Uh, and, and once that happened, I was never going to use another business model. <laughs> the, business model is, the business model is great because an entrepreneur frees you up to concentrate on growth and marketing. But it gets to a certain size where it's no longer cost effective to do it the way, you know, to have no employees. At that point, I exit. Ah. So, with this, so with this first company, you know, started with $200. I exited at $105.5 million uh, five years later. And then I thought, you know, I've got a plug and play model. I'll find something that fits it and go and do it again. And that's all I've been doing is repeating the same model. Um, I've written a book called, um, all my proceeds and books go to cancer research and development. So I'm not promoting books, obviously. That's awesome. I'm just very passionate about doing things a different way because I meet so many entrepreneurs who come from the corporate world and they, they repeat what they've learned. Like, uh, I'll hire a head of this and a head of that and a head of that and the other thing. Uh, but they haven't themselves taken the time to understand in the business that they worked in before they became an entrepreneur, how the different functions work together. And if you take time to do that, then you, then you, you build a sort of self-confidence in order to say, you know what, I don't need to hire a head of anything just yet. I can hold, I can see this through to a certain level. And that level t tends out to be quite long in the, in the longevity of the company. And, so my first company, Qual Medical, I sold for 105 million, and it's still going. It's the you can check the website out. It's the I, the person I sold it to, I, I trust implicitly, and he's kept the whole thing going. And now, yeah, you know, I, I don't know what it's worth now, but a lot more than I sold it. <laughs> but that's fun. That's what it's all about. So so uh, you know, so my book, um, Secrets to a Successful Startup, is a step by step guide onto how to do how to do that, how to come up with a winning idea, 
how to react forward, how to set it up so that you keep that wonderful cash you know, with you instead of throwing it away and all of these, these uh, crazy things that people do. Because, you know, you know as well as I do that, you know, 80% of business failures are down to cash flow mismanagement. Mm, yeah. So typically that's getting it wrong right at the beginning. So if you get it right at the beginning and give yourself time for the, for the delta to open up a little bit so, so you start to get decent revenue coming in and then you can take, you know, then you can start to hire people if it's necessary for your business plan. But I've yet to find an entrepreneur who could convince me that it was necessary to hire. <laughs> yeah, based on your experience. <laughs> and then, you know, I know kind of when we were doing the intro and stuff, um, one of the things, you know, you said you had four companies now. One of the things you said you're doing, you're helping people tap into their magic, become real world wizards. What, what do you mean by that? Well, for me, magic is very simple, you know, and you, you can look at the scientific definition, which is Albert Einstein's, you know, matter, energy and matter are interrelated and what, you know, just different versions of the same thing. Or that's the scientific approach. Or you could look at a philosopher like Alan Watts, who says well, it's all just one suchness. Or you could look at people who claim to be, uh, you know, magis like uh, Alistair Crowley, who says, you know, magic is simply converting one form of energy into another form of energy within the laws of nature under the power of will. And when I think about entrepreneurship, isn't that what we do? Hmm. Isn't that exactly what we do? We come up with a winning idea and we convert that energy into its physical form. And then we experience the physical form of it, and then we convert it into an exit. So then it converts into a different type of energy called money or shares or whatever it is, and then and so on and so forth. So, so that's that's I try to demystify magic by by showing that from from my physicist standpoint, it's all very predictable. And once you get control of that, once you learn how to play with energy, as, as Alan Watts would say, you know, all life is a playing of energy. Once you learn how to play with energy in a slightly different way, you get slightly different outcomes. And and most people don't understand our relationship with energy and therefore their life has become somewhat random. Whereas once you understand that and you, you start to take a little a degree of control over how you're interacting with that energy through how we think and how we talk and how we react, then you start to control the outcome. So as an example, the company we're just talking about, you know, I set my intention to sell that company for more than $100 million before I even wrote a business plan. That was my intention. And that was my way of setting my energy and setting the energy of the business. So, so there's lots of tools and techniques. Um, I have a website, trevorgblake.com, where everything is, it's just a portal. It's like, it's like um, Alice in Wonderland. It's a great place to drop down <laughs> into these rabbit holes and, and, uh, and challenge the way we've been brought, we've been told that we should think. And so thinking in a different way. I don't believe that science, spirit, and business are separate entities. I believe they're all one of the same thing and they're self-supporting. So, We talked about, you know, energy, consciousness, and transformation, you're kind of, you know, touching base a little bit on that and setting the intention, you know, for your company, you're like, I want to sell this for over more than a hundred million. What are some of the different things as entrepreneurs we can do to start to tap into, you know, those energy? Like if we have no, no clue about that, all right, how do I first kind of start to, you know, tap into some of my energy and consciousness? Okay, cool. Setting intentions. Kind of what is those, some of those other things to really get us on that um, path uh, with that? Okay, so 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 for all of your uh, viewers who are watching this, rewind what you what Josh just said about forty seconds, and and then you'll realize why that's not an intention. Okay, because you said it's kind of you kind of said I can and I will sell my company for hundred. Mm. It's the wrong way around because time's an illusion. And so if you set if you're setting your thought pro because thoughts are energy and uh, words are energy. If you're setting your energy as I can and I will, it will always just elude you because it will always be well I can and I will be just ahead of you. Be very frustrating life that you experience. So you crush time. And so right at the beginning, instead of saying you know I can and will sell my company, you say I sold my company for a hundred million dollars, or at least a hundred million dollars. 
And and what you what that that sets up a whole different parameter of thought processes in your head because you can't say that without imagining what it feels like to actually having sold it. Right. So you start to change your imagination. You start to say, oh, that feels really good. It's like it's, it's a bit of Walter Mitty, you know, a bit, bit, a bit of the liar that you have to convince yourself. But it's scientific too because neuroscience shows unequivocally that the brain can't tell the difference between what is real and what is imagined. And so when you imagine the success before you've even started approaching the success, then your brain can't tell the difference and wonderful things start to happen in your life. They may have happened anyway, but probably you might have missed them. You might not have noticed them because you're, not, you're thinking into the future. But when you think this, this sort of concept, I call it time imagination. There's a technique I have at, at, on one of my courses. And, and so you, you imagine what success feels like and when that happens, what would you do? Well, typically you'd celebrate in some way. So you imagine that celebration and then you don't have to ask, how do I get from where I am to where I want to go? That will happen naturally. You just kind of ride the wave. It all sounds very new agey, but it's actually science. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I, you know, for me, when I was a kid, um, I think I was 14 or 15, and I read uh, Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins, so Thinking or uh, Unlimited Power and Awaken the Giant. And so I started to take a lot, of the, a lot of the information that he talked about and started to apply it to my life, um, setting like goals and setting my, you know, what I wanted to accomplish and where I was going to be in, you know, 20 years and five, five, 10, 15, 20 years. And so, um, I wrote that all down on eight and a half by 11 legal pad, all these pages. And then I found that probably, I don't know, say five or eight years ago, roughly. And I was showing it to my kids. I was like, Oh my gosh, like 80% of what I had written down, I had accomplished at, pretty much all those times. And I looked at it a lot when I was young for, for probably like for five years straight, I looked at it pretty much every day, read through it and everything else, just like he had said. And then it got van, it lost, it got lost when I moved and everything else and found it. And so it's crazy. Like you said, you start setting that and you set those intentions and, and everything you said, and you, you're, you figure out a way to do that, even though you might not have it in front of you all the time. Well, and you know, I don't, I've not met a successful entrepreneur that set out to be a successful entrepreneur. That was never a goal of theirs or an intention. Right. <laughs> they're typically, they're typically people that you know, you like like me. I fix, I fix stuff. That's basically what I am, a fixer. And so, so I'll see something, and because I'm lazy, I'll try and find who's fixed it, who's who's figured this out. And then suddenly you realize no one has. And then you think, oh, that's a business opportunity. Well, if I want it fixed, I'm going to have to do it myself. But I'm, but I'm all, I've never been qualified in any of my businesses. I mean, I'm a sales and marketing guy. I've, I've never, you know, I've, I've never had the scientific background that I need to be in, in like pharmaceutical biotech or anything like that. But you figure it out. I mean, Richard Branson knew nothing about the airline business, but he, <laughs> yeah. you know, he figured it out because he wanted to fly to his girlfriend. He was afraid she, he was going to get jilted. So his, his plane was canceled. He went around the airport, chartered a plane, went around selling tickets to his new airline. Didn't tell anybody that he knew nothing about the airlines. They all signed up. They flew to the Caribbean island. And as, he's, as, as a passenger was getting off, uh, one of them whispered in his ear, you know, with, with a little cleanup of your service, this would be a pretty good airline. <laughs> so he thought, <laughs> I'll start an airline. So, it, I mean, he never set out to be this type of entrepreneur. You know, same with his record business. It, you know, people or, or Netflix, you know, Netflix was started because the guy got really got pissed off, if I'm allowed to say mm. that on air, with, um, with having to, with getting fined for, uh, returning a video to blockbusters and getting fined because it wasn't rewound. And he thought there must be a better way of doing this. Hence, and out of that comes Netflix. Now, he didn't know there was going to be streaming, you know, 10 years later. Right. But, but he's in the right place at the right time. So, so I, I think entrepreneurs are, you know, they don't set out an intention to be an entrepreneur. They, they you know, we're, we're much more creative people than we give ourselves credit for. 
think we all think we're analytical, but I think I think we are a little bit analytical, but more creative. And we find something to fix, and we go and fix it. And that's that's my recipe actually for winning ideas. You know, find out what's what. Make make a note of what gets under your skin, and then do something about it. Yeah, I mean, I think along the way too. Um, you know, w- with what you're doing, I mean, you gotta you have to think big. Uh, you know, I think that's what a lot of times. I mean, we have a few sporadic things over the last few years. People thinking big and you know, trying to change, you know, something fix, you know, thinking of big ways to fix something. What are some of your insights on, you know, thinking big? I even saw Ryan Moran had a quote about, you know, you're, you're like his go-to guy for helping him think bigger. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. I, uh, I mean, I don't think Ryan needs any help from anybody, but, he, but, he, but yeah, he does, he does claim that, that, uh, that I've helped him think bigger. You know, I, part of it has to do with the energy of the world that we live in. Things have changed from that sort of, we, we give them labels and it, unfortunately it makes us think gender. It's not gender, but you know, there's a type of energy we've all lived with. It's been, it's been there for centuries, but as entrepreneurs, we've lived it during entrepreneurial life. It's very slow and methodical and analytical. Right? That's out, that's gone. Okay. So we live in this world of a spiraling energy, which some people call feminine energy. And it, it's, it's the, it's the energy of rapid innovation and rapid, uh, you know, adaptation and it's exhausting and, and you can see it. So, so for, for businesses today, I think you have a, a, a window where you have to get big fast. You know, it's not like the old days where you build locally and then you get, if you're good, you go regionally. And then if you're really good, you go nationally. Those days are gone. And, and we, I see examples of that, you know, almost every day of the week. You can think of it a, a, a really clear, succinct example, like the company Mirror, uh, who did, who do the, you know, the big Mirror Fitness thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, so, I mean, she came up with that idea, I think it was Christmas Eve one, one day. And, and then I think it was less than 24 months later, sold it for 500 million to Luli Lemon. Yeah. And, um. You know, that's that's the opportunities that exist today. You don't actually have to be, you don't have to actually figure out how I'm going to make the next Amazon. You know, someone will come in and sweep you up. And, and that's that's a result, right? So you start with nothing and sell for 500 million two years later. Who wouldn't want that? So it, so that's what I talk about when I'm talking about the magic of thinking bigger is is a, is a get big fast is kind of the concept. And one one way to fall short of doing that is to hire a bunch of employees because you will end up spending all of your time taking care of disgruntled employees who are always really enthusiastic the first few weeks they join a startup because they all think, oh, great, I'll, you know, I'll be part of something magical. And then they realize how challenging it can be and, and that the, the CEO is paying them kind of month to month. He hasn't got the money to, you know, and then they get nervous, then they start complaining, then they want pay rises, then they want job titles and all that kind of stuff. You, you, that becomes an internal whirlpool. And it's very hard to grow fast in that situation. So if you adopt, if you, if you think about doing a, a model of alliances or even a crazy model of alliances, then you have the opportunity to get big fast. And, and then when it comes to the exit, it's typically only you involved or you and a couple of people involved. So, so it's very easy to do a deal. You know, in my older company, in my regular companies, deals would take years to do. In my own companies, you know, it's, it's been done in days. While some things seem to happen in the blink of an eye, like volatility and inflation in the markets. Other things take time, like building a successful startup or perhaps creating a great piece of art. I'm no artist myself, but it could be foolish not to recognize the existence of art as an asset class. Billionaires have been investing in the art market for centuries, while some of us have been sticking with the classic 60-40 equities and bonds ratio. But get this, there's finally a way to get access to the investment of the ultra high net worth investor without being one. With the $1 billion fintech startup Masterworks. Using data and technology, Masterworks is democratizing the art market. 
they've transformed a centuries-old asset class so that everyday investors can invest in blue chip pieces from iconic artists like Warhol, Picasso, Vanquist to add to their portfolios. And the best part, it only takes a moment to invest in blue chip artwork on their platform. You can get started at masterworks.art, A-R-T, slash, making bank. My listeners get priority access to their latest offerings. Just go to masterworks.art slash making bank. See important disclaimers at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. What do you think? Um, obviously, you, you had three successful exits. Um, what is your, I guess, um, framework or what is kind of that um, process that you've been able to put in place to be able to exit three different times, you know, for roughly $100 million each or more? Yeah, well, and the milestone exits. So, so because one of my companies is the research and development company. And so when that is successful, then, you know, another windfall lands, if you like. So, so the, the, the sort of structured, uh, um, you know, the, the branched out de- uh, deals in a way, so much upfront, so much on approval, so much on so percentage of sales when the product gets into the market. Okay. Um, th- those are nice deals. You know, they're like really good deals. They're easy deals to do because of risk mitigation. It's, it's a feeling, I think, more than anything. It's the, so intuition is... In, in this new world of fast paced, get big fast, there's, you know, when you see a problem, it's, it's too late to say, let's call a meeting and talk about it. You, you're done. And we're seeing huge companies that were household names that were stars in the books, good to great and built to last. Well, they're not. <laughs> you know, they're, they're going out of business faster than we can even pay attention to. You know, right. all, the, all the circuit cities and, and uh, you know, um, border books and all of those oh, yeah. household names are gone now because they can't adapt quickly enough. And, and that's because their structure is all wrong, in my humble opinion. And so in the new structure, in this new world, you have to rely really on your intuition more than you ever had to before. So, so I teach that. I teach how, especially for, for male entrepreneurs, you know, female entrepreneurs now have an advantage that they've deserved to have for, for you know, centuries. But finally, they're in the right place. And we're seeing it in every aspect of life where female leadership is now, you know, rightfully in, in the place it needs to be. And, um, and a lot of that is down to their intuition. And the, the connection to their intuition. Now we all are half female, half male. But you know, as a man, I've relied more on my male side, and you know, my wife relied more on her female side. <laughs> so I've been teaching myself more of the female side for for a couple of decades now. So so I've developed a strong connection to my intuition, so that I can make instantaneous decisions that I know feel right, even though the world might be saying paint it blue, and I say no, I'm going with red, and and that's because it, red feels right to me. So that that to me is the biggest change. Uh, of, of this new world, we don't have time to, you know, see a problem and hire someone to fix it, or, or um, see an opportunity and, and you know go and talk to investors about it. You have to react really quickly now, and that for that you need strong intuition. Yeah, no, I think that's you know I think that's definitely true. I mean, with the way everything is going, we got to be able to, to make those decisions and to believe that you know that's it's going to work out <laughs> with the decision that we made. <laughs> Yeah, and it takes practice. You know, you do have to work at it. It's a real thing. So, so I, you know, I, I, I teach tools and techniques at trevorgblake.com to how to do that, how to, how to get in touch with your intuition. Because for a lot of people, it's been a long time since you learned to trust yourself. You know, been ta- you've been taught different ways of, of making decisions. You know, typically companies will make decisions by consensus. That's crazy when you think about it, but that's the way it's been. Now it's different. Now, now we're having people saying, I don't care what anybody thinks, we're doing it this way. And, and that's the new world that we live in. So I, 
you know, if anyone's interested, you can go to trevorgblake.com and, and there's loads of freebies. There's a, there's a practical magic of the five hour work day because I never work more than five hours either. Um, that's a good one. And then there's the seven day mentality control diet challenge. It's a mouthful, but it's fun. So it's seven, <laughs> it's for free. So seven techniques that you can do. So you can start to realize, okay, I need to think in a different way. I need to play with energy in a different way. And you can see the effects of that by using these, these exercises. That'll help you immediately start to trust your intuition more. Awesome. And then uh, what's a couple tips? You mentioned working five hours a day. What's a couple tips to only work five hours a day? You well, you know, in, in my companies, my type of companies or company structure is really important because it's a one-man band. And so I come from the corporate world where you're busy, 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 but you're not really productive. And then you come into the one, you know, so when I first started my first company, Qual, you know, I would sit at my computer waiting for an email and I'd wait for the phone to ring and I, and I wouldn't dare go out of the office because I've only, you know, I, I've got to be there 10 hours. And I, st I started to get burned out and my, my workplace started to leak into my private life. And that's a no-no for me. Um, I like success with balance. It's very important. I mean, I know a lot of entrepreneurs that work 16 hour days, but they're on the third marriage. What's, what's that about? What's mm, the point in that? Right. And so I, I went a different way. So, so I studied um, brain science. So I studied uh, neuroanatomy for a while. And I realized that you know, our brains can only concentrate for a short period of time. But here's the rub. You know, do two hours of productive work, but stop. At that point, your brain's pretty tired. And what I didn't know at the time was that when our brains are tired, we're at our most creative. I always thought it was the other way around. Hmm. So, so I started to build that. So I will, I'm, I'm absolutely dedicated to, to, to cutting at certain points. So, so I don't start any work before nine. I don't even switch on an electronic device. And so between nine and 11, I do my, my kind of productive work. Um, I might then, and then I take a break and do something that's, that's sort of creative or, or like, like, like we're doing now. It was 11.15 for me when we started this. So this is, this isn't work, right? This is two guys chatting around the fireplace. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, and then I'll go for a walk or I'll take some quiet time. I will even have a nap. I schedule a nap um, because, you know, NASA requires all its pilots to nap at 12 o'clock noon uh, for, th for at least 30 minutes because it improves their performance in the afternoon by 34%. I, I don't know a lot of stuff except to copy other people. So, so when I read that and I study that, I think, well, okay, I'll do that. And, um, and that's how it comes about. So in the end, I do two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon. And sometimes if I feel like it, an hour of writing in the evening. Awesome. Uh, we just got a couple minutes left. Uh, what's one thing you're, you're like, man, I hope Josh was going to ask me this question, but he didn't ask me this today, but I really want to make sure the audience gets this information. What's one last thing you might want to share with them before we wrap up? No, I mean, you ask, you ask great questions, Josh. So we could go on for hours, I know, but it'd just be fun. <laughs> we, bore, we bore everyone to death just listening to two of us talk. But um, I, get asked, I get asked a lot, you know, what's the, big, what's the one big secret for mm. entrepreneurial success? And my answer is always the same. Just start. Yeah. Don't wait. Just start. Awesome. And they, uh, your book, get on your website, trevorgblake.com. That's where the best place to get the book is and everything? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's links to Amazon and all the rest of it and Barnes & Noble. Awesome. Guys, I guess I hope you guys are really paying attention to what Trevor was talking about today. We dove into some awesome uh, different insights, uh, different things that he was talking about to start to create and move energy as well as uh, – just starting to think bigger, like what, you know, what, what is holding you back right now? What are those limitations that you're placing on yourself that's not allowing you to think bigger? So go back, rewind, listen, watch this again, and really pay attention and take those notes and then start applying those right now, you know, as soon as you start watching and listening to this again and getting those notes in there. So uh, Trevor, again, thank you for coming on Making Bank and honored to have you on the show today. Uh, it was totally my pleasure. That was great fun. Thank you, Josh. I am Josh Felber. You were watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. 
Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube. 